0: sandy oh my god it's 2024 is
1: it is it 2024 you know what i'm hoping i'm hoping that this isn't the fourth year of 2020 because that's how it felt (laughs) the last few years and so i'm hoping that we have truly entered a new era a new year new year new worlds but um i know that that's not possible it's not true it's uh but you know what the the top of the year always gives me a little bit of like a an injection of optimism of possibility and i'm going to going to try to lean into that this year so yeah. happy new year
0: oh my god happy new year and you know what if you had said that on twitter you would have uh, been uh, attacked for claiming that uh, covid doesn't exist <laughs>
1: Covid doesn't exist. Happiness doesn't exist. Years are a um, invention by the elite uh, to take us all down. Like I'm sure That's there right. would have been all sorts of <laughs> different types of things that people would have accused me of. Uh, but that that dear listener is why I'm not on Twitter. <laughs> but. but But Nora, you are and I have seen some of this. I mean, you've gone from from being the sole journalist in Canada counting and uh, and reporting on code of deaths to writing um, a book that is is one of the best accounts of how uh, the media in Canada messed it all up uh, to 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 being a COVID denier. And that is is the internet, everybody. <laughs> that is the internet mm-hmm. and what it is doing to us. It's mm-hmm. fascinating.
0: It's not good. It's not good. But you know what? Um, one of the things about being in real life with real people that have to say these things to your face and then you get to reply, is your mind that, uh, that things are better out there, that people are still good. <laughs> So, you know, you're smart to not uh, really be on Twitter all that much. And everybody listening to this, you are also probably that kind of smart. But Sandy, enough about me. Mm. How are you? Uh,
1: how am I? <laughs> I mean, I plan <laughs> to go on a very long rant on this uh, this episode about, uh, about health and health for people who have uteruses in particular <laughs> because, okay, mm-hmm. so every year I send out, Holiday cards, as you know, because I love sending people mail. I love getting mail. You're one of the recipients. Did you like the card that I sent you this year?
0: Do you know what? I actually put last year's card on the tree for you.
1: Oh, you did? That's so sweet. Okay, because I did not send you a card yet this year. I will because I bought those cards. <laughs> and, and and they are they are um sitting ready to be written and sent out but Nora I had um I had a I had a major abdominal surgery over the break oh my uh, god because yep um uh, thank you for sounding surprised though you already knew um <laughs> Um, I had major abdominal surgery. I had fibroids and I had a lot of fibroids. Uh, I had 26 fibroids, which was no, no, a God. record for, for the nurse who was attending to me in the hospital. Um, you are not an underachiever. No, no. I'm, I, I go for gold in all senses of the word and the, uh, actually 27 cause they left one in there. Um, and, oh, shit. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, uh, it's okay though and uh i i had this this thought that during my recovery i would just be able to write all the cards and send them out while i was um you know recovering and that would would have been like a nice soft activity to do because i just i didn't fathom how one, my abs just wouldn't work, and how much you need your abs to like sit up and write. And then, two, how much excruciating, terrible, fucking pain I would be in. And you know, there, I feel like there's this cultural expectation that when you go through something like this, and someone asks, "Hey, how are you doing? How was your surgery?" that you say, "I'm fine. Yeah, you know, everything. It wasn't so bad. Everything's going well." And I. I'm not doing that i'm letting everybody know that it sucked and the recovery really sucked and uh, i have lots to say about um about about women's health and health for people who have uteruses and um and the lack of education that we have surrounding this and how angry i am about this whole thing mm, yeah well, that's I how i'm that. doing <laughs> but you're but i will still send out those holiday cards And so in February, you will receive (laughs) a holiday themed card um, that will maybe have some jokes in it about um, how late they are.
0: (laughs) That's awesome. I can't wait for that. And I know that like, you know, this has been something that you've been trying to figure out for a long time, what could be causing the discomfort and the pain. And you've discovered in this journey, like, just how little research and focus and care has been uh, applied to something as fundamental as growths inside of your uterus. <laughs> like, it just is one of these things which is like, man, if we lived in the matriarchy, this would be probably, like, a really big kind of thing that we know about and watch out for and understand.
1: Absolutely. And it's like, since since having this and, and dealing with it and Um, you know, going through the process of dealing with it. I feel like everyone I know (laughs) that has a uterus has been like, oh yeah, me too. Um, either with some, some sort of something similar, whether it's fibroids or endometriosis or something where they've experienced something like this and have had the same sort of questions, the same sort of surprise, um, education through it all the same sort of like, um, Weird delays and not knowings, and uh, and even the resistance from um, healthcare providers to look into something in a particular way. When you're like, "Ah, this is a problem." Um, so yeah, we'll talk about that a little bit on on this podcast today. But but first, before we get into that, I said that I'm starting the year off with optimism, and there is nothing more optimistic than gratitude, is there? Mm.
0: Yes. Okay. So you will remember back in 2023, we asked people to maybe consider increasing or donating to the podcast for the first time. And the hope was we'd be able to start hiring somebody or some some people to help us with the script writing for the daily news. Now, two things to say about that. First of all, if you were in touch to say you want to be that person to write the scripts, uh, thank you so much. <laughs> we have not figured out how to do a hiring process or anything like that. And Sandy and I... I mean we're kind of like trying to do things right and then when you have to do things right it's really hard to do things fast and it's been well you just heard what Sandy's been dealing with so um, we have not figured out how to do that yet but we have gotten some help with some of the scripts which has been amazing and you'll hear that in the kind of the end of the daily news podcast but Sandy do you know how many people listened to the call and donated and increased their donation and came out to help us out since December? Oh,
1: um I don't. I would get... Um, I don't
0: know. Maybe... Is it in the 10 range? Okay. You know what? I don't know. I haven't counted. So we're going to go through this. <laughs> and if it's too many people and we think that we need to separate the, the amount of names to give everyone proper gratitude, then we will do that. But dear listener, you got to hang on to your hats for this one. Thank you so, so much to everyone who changed their donation, donated for the first time, especially... Jennifer, Natalie, Nassim, Kylie, and Linnea. We'll start there. Ebony, Moremi, Allison, Victoria, Dominic, Sam. uh, Donor donor named Meet a Lowly Abject Turd. I'm sure you're not lowly or abject, Mr. Turd. Nicole, Colin, Handy, Naguib, Sharon, Mac, Haley, and Zuzana. Gonna keep going here. Folks, thank you so much, so much, so much, my God. Nishant, Brenda, Cycling weather. It's always cycling weather. Anna, Emily, Jennifer, Amanda, Joseph, Abby, Astra, Kelly, Hannah, Alexis, a different Kelly, a different Natalie, Jackie, Neil, Cameron, Antoine, Chris, Brad, Kay, Zane. My God, Sandy, I feel like I'm doing the romper room right now. Do you remember that show? No. Oh, okay. Well, one second. (laughs) I'll explain it to you. Rosario, Hannah, Ronak, Jeremy, John, Zoe, Amber, Monica, and SB. Thank you, everybody. Oh, my gosh. Thank you so much.
1: Oh, my gosh. Thank you all so much. We really appreciate you. And we wouldn't be able to, to do what we do without you. So hopefully, with all of that support, we can do what we do even better. So um, I'm feeling really good about that. Thank you.
0: Yes, thank you.
1: So shall we start with Palestine?
0: Yes, that's a very good place to start.
1: Um, we, we think that for this episode, we're just going to talk about a number of things that have been on our minds because it's been a while since we've, we've seen you all. I mean, we did start the podcast back up a couple of weeks ago, um, but uh, those have, were episodes that were in the can for us. And so uh, let's just talk about what's going on right now. Uh, as of now, uh, 25,000 people have been killed in Gaza. The scale of, uh, the, of the destruction um, from Israel is unbelievable, it's unthinkable. It is one out of every hundred um, Palestinians in Gaza who have been killed in this absolute massacre. The, the final um, university that was left in Gaza was mined and destroyed. Uh, over half of the homes have been destroyed. The amount of children who've been killed is unbelievable. And of course, uh, during this period that we have been taking our break, uh, South Africa has um, uh, put in uh, a, uh, has has taken uh, Israel to, to, to court over uh, attempting to Uh, Put in some measures to to stop an impending genocide and countries all over the world have uh, been sort of um, Putting up where they stand on this and with respect to Canada it's been uh, quite confusing but not altogether unexpected that Canada has tried to in its own statements like not really take a side but in the end confirm that they will uh, respect the findings of uh, of the international criminal court but uh, that they don't necessarily support the premise of uh, South Africa's application <laughs>
0: It's <laughs> just like, Sandy, you're the lawyer on this uh, podcast. Absolutely ridiculous. What, what, like, would it, and is there any possible world where, like, a government that has to feign its faith in Western legal systems, that they would be able to come out and preemptively say that they will reject a finding of genocide in the International Criminal Court? Like, is that even in the realm of possibility? I mean, like,
1: we're in a post-Trump world, right? Like, what, <laughs> what even makes sense anymore? Like, I mean, look, the, the thing, the International Criminal Court, I mean, I think uh, for, for anyone who has been, you know, paying attention and, and knows anything about international law, it's all not real, Right. Like it it it, it's it's like impossible (laughs) to enforce Um, and there's no real standards around like um, the very shaky agreements around the world that that allow this sort of thing to exist. And so um, what this is like more than anything else, like I'm not being um, Twitter cynical about this as not you know, like this means nothing. It does mean something. It means like appropriate documentation of what's happening that can be referred to um, at some time uh, in the future and today to say like this is this is what. Uh, we know has come to pass, what we know has happened rather than what I expect will happen, uh, uh, will be attempted um, by the perpetrators in the future, which is uh, some sort of uh, rewriting of history to make it seem not as bad as it is, right? Like it is important to have that sort of documentation. But I, I suspect that the findings um, will be horrid and that there won't be much that will be done um uh coming out of those horrible findings
0: right yeah no i i I look at this and i saw you know canada's very tepid response which is very similar to the australian response and if you read it i mean it starts by talking about hamas and it's like you guys you're still fucking talking about hamas like <laughs> okay but um hamas hasn't killed that many people compared to israel and Like from my reading of the situation, the Canadian government is not the kind of government that is able to come out in front and say that they will automatically reject a finding of genocide from the International Criminal Court. I imagine that they're crossing their fingers and the toes that the judges will not find a genocide and that will make their lives easier. And of course, it's anyone's guess. And as you say, for all the reasons that you mentioned, I mean, the findings, they matter, but certainly the whole case matters probably more. So we have these documents. Because everything is so highly politicized, it's really not on the surface what we're actually dealing with. There's other, there's other kind of factors behind the decision making. But the federal government puts out this, this letter saying that they support um, the court. They reject the, fa- the, 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 the standing on which this case is built, which is like that's a real Olympic level attempt at sucking and blowing. Good work, federal liberals. Um, while at the same time, we are part of this alliance that is bombing Yemen hmm. So, you know, I, I think that it is it is a very interesting moment where um, we have a, a letter that it, it de facto supports Israel, even though it says that it's going to uphold the, the the decision of the court or respect it or whatever. While we are doing things that demonstrates that we absolutely support Israel and therefore reject any claim of genocide, unless we're just going to be honest, and be like, yeah, and we're also just pro genocide right now because we're 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 assisting it in some way. Um, and I don't know if you saw this, but CBC News's Evan Dyer was working like overtime for the Liberals in making sure that we understood the Liberals' reaction to the court case as being neutral. Because he's like, wow, both sides are framing this as being opposed to Israel and opposed to Gaza, and it's like I can see how Zionists would take that statement and say it wasn't strong enoughly um, in favor of Israel, of course. Uh, but it, it, there's no question that this that this statement like it, it falls into a, a totally complete Zionist frame. And then here you have a CBC reporter saying, "I spoke to the Prime Minister myself or the PMO's office myself, and they have clarified that it is neutral." And it's like, guy, we can read like we have the statement, so. You have like the media establishment working overtime as well to make sure that we don't believe their actions indicate where they are and instead hope that these very random words that they're using to explain what the canadian state thinks in relation to what's going on is actually somehow to somehow like the coherent message neutrality right as if i mean christ like neutrality in the face of what's going on is bad enough um but that's what they're striving for and then I'm sure you saw that there's another call for a ceasefire that like Jagmeet Singh just circulated, reminding everyone that that guy hasn't really said fuck all (laughs) about what's going on in a long time. And it just feels like um, like, you know, as with so many massive issues that we've dealt with in the last four years, this constant recreating of the narrative, intending for us to forget just how bad things are or how bad things have gotten or how things weren't as bad a month ago or two months ago with the same messages, is all a process of 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 massaging the narrative so that we don't feel like things are actually as bad as they are, yeah,
1: and I think i mean uh, the one of the lessons I think that we uh, should take from this as uh, people who are uh, principally anti-war and maybe for folks who are listening who were a little confused when this all started um, and you know perhaps a little forgiving of uh, politicians who who weren't sure what to say or do like we should know right like here we are it's it's January there were people um, you know like all over the world, who were saying exactly what was going to come to pass, who knew how did they know who well, they know just they knew just by looking. At, at the history, at recent history, at long-term history, at, at knowing who had the power, where the arms were coming from, where they were going, who was supporting what in the world. And quite frankly, that is the job of politicians to understand that. So everything that is um, allowing Jagmeet Singh and uh, Justin Trudeau and whomever else to take a particular position today, they had all of that information in October, okay? And there is mm-hmm. no excuse for waiting until today to make the sort of statements that they are making, whether it's a ceasefire or uh, w- what I will expect in the future that um, I hope in the future that some uh, politicians will start to take a stop the siege um, uh, position. I think that that will probably happen in the future. But the thing is, mm. what what this tells us is that there is a level of acceptable destruction for these politicians Mm -hmm. that they are willing to allow and part of what what allows them to do that is that they're sitting back they're taking a look at the land and saying can i risk it and quite frankly that's absolutely disgusting it's not fucking acceptable and they should feel um uh the consequences of their fucking cynicism and uh deeply unprincipled response uh, to what amounts to being uh, complicit in the face of a genocide from uh, people average people on the ground, from us and uh, and I think like this is a lesson like we should remember this uh, you know uh, we, we talked about pr- previously how um, decimated the anti-war movement has been and uh, you know I, I think that uh, uh, it, it is starting to to coalesce again around, this action but it's like everything 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 um from the refusal to uh, to take a, a an easy fucking ceasefire position to the way that uh protests are being um uh, criminalized in in such a bizarre way uh right now across Canada it's like uh, fucking come on like this is a, a real real uh, um attack on on our uh, ability on our freedoms, but it's also like a, a showing of how disgusting our governments are, how disgusting the political actors are, and uh, we should be demanding more.
0: Yeah, I think that it's so important to always come back to what we know about what's happening in Gaza, because it is too easy for supporters of Israel to spin everything on its head and then fall out of a conversation that makes any any sense at all. So as you said, there's, you know, a death toll that is now higher than 25,000 people on a population of, of about 2 million people. So that's like massive. That's that's enormous. Uh, of that, I mean, one uh, percent of Gaza's children have been killed. And um, if you put that into Canadian terms, I mean, it's something like 70, 76,000 children being killed since October 7th. Uh, and there that's not really driving any of the conversations in the in the in the mainstream media and, and I think like we, we should talk a little bit about where mainstream media falls into all of this but there's other markers I think that are really important as well to see. So the cultural destruction and genocide is is horrific and it's it's such an interesting part of the world because there's been so many people that have lived there for so long that that it is a it is a human it's it's like humanity's history is being destroyed, like our collective history is being destroyed. And, you know, folks in the Daily News will remember that I talked about some of the stuff, but there's been ancient manuscripts that have been destroyed within ancient mosques. There's um, a Roman necropolis, which was found only in 2022, with something like 167 fully, fully um, preserved bodies from the, from the from the year like 1,800 BCE or something, right? Like like th- that is unbelievable, destroyed, destroyed. Uh, buildings that date back to 400 A- 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 AD, or what do we say, whatever, whatever the new AD is, <laughs> 400 and 600 and um, beautiful buildings, beautiful mosques, beautiful churches, all just destroyed. And um, I'm sure Sandy, you've seen the controlled demolition that we've seen of university in Gaza, And it's just like, this is not destroying Hamas. We obviously can see that desecrating cemeteries is not destroying Hamas. And so every single time that a Canadian politician hearkens to Hamas in this situation now is a signal of how much they support this destruction. Because even if, even if this was a war to go after and murder every single member of Hamas, it's not justifiable. And and we can see plainly that it's not, that it's, that's a pretext for Israel to be able to clear Gaza. Their politicians are saying that in no uncertain terms. I mean, they're speaking as if they're not in front of an international criminal court on charges of genocide right now, which is, I think, just shocking. And... When you when you step back and look at all of that, it's like at what cost are we? Uh, is Israel allowed to do this? And what are we as as you know as Canadians or what is we as you know citizens of the world of whatever you want to put it, willing to accept in terms of our complicit complicity complacency complicity, complicity, complicity in this destruction? Now, one of the difficulties is that mainstream media has absolutely failed to tell this story. That every time that the, the, the CBC happens to have a voice that like actually talks about what's going on in Gaza and isn't like complete spin, I see a lot of lefties going, "Oh my god, finally, 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 there's one person they've talked to," rather than that actually being the frame through which this whole story needs to be told. And so, you know, we've said on this podcast many times that this event is paradigm shifting. It's got ripples across the world, and we should be looking at, you know, like Jordan bombing Syria uh iran bombing pakistan iran bombing syria israel bombing syria iran bombing iraq uh israel obviously bombing lebanon like this is really really bad Can, like canada be involved in military action in the red sea against yemen and this coalition bombing yemen and where is canadian media on this incapable incapable of telling us what the hell is going on right now and how implicated as canadians we are in it
1: yeah it's uh it's it's fucking unacceptable and here we are and there were more cuts to to media just before we went on break or was it over the break i can't remember uh in canada and so you know we're in a we're in a really bad uh, situation all around and uh fuck I, I mean i really i really don't have words uh to 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 describe or make sense of uh what's going on. And I mean, we have uh, Netanyahu saying um, that under no circumstances will Israel accept uh, a Palestinian state and saying, you know, for someone who has said that the words from the river to the sea uh, constitute genocidal intent, that is, do, those are words that he is now using. So perhaps a giant projection there. Um, and and there's literally no reason um, to be... Uh, you know, the, the, trying to describe this as something that it is not. This is a, a genocide that is being taken, uh, that is being carried out uh, in front of the world, and uh, uh, very few people, very few countries, are doing anything to try to stop it.
0: <sighs> mm-hmm. But hey, Sandy, I'm sure you saw the big news about Justin Trudeau's holiday this past uh, this past month. Yeah. <laughs> I. Yeah, I saw it. <laughs> I
1: saw it. I mean, what, I mean, what is there to say? Like, oh my God. I. I Honestly, in, in one way, like, I really don't give a fuck. Like, like I just... There are so many other things that he has done that I are... Hope,
0: I hope not in one way. I hope in, like, 30 different in, ways he do give a fuck in about In a
1: this. gazillion ways, I don't give a fuck because there's, like, a thousand different things that the media could be reporting on that the Trudeau government has uh, failed at. And f- this sort of sensational shit, like, I do not care. In another way, I'm like, God, you guys are really bad at this. (laughs) Like, like the media, Justin Trudeau, like everyone involved, you're all really bad at this. And I I don't understand how you could be this bad. Stop being bad.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. No, exactly. And I and I mention this not because the story matters. I mean, again, if you listen to the Daily News, I haven't mentioned the story because it doesn't it doesn't matter at all. But it is an interesting example of where the federal liberals are currently. So we have a prime minister. He goes on vacation to Jamaica, goes to a private villa. The estimates that are published in the National Post of how much this costs is $80,000. There's questions about whether or not he had to pay it or if it was like a gift to him. Uh, his whole family goes, including his ex-wife. So it's just this beautiful, like blended family co-parenting kind of magical thing. and. You know, it creates this world where you've got one set of people who would probably vote for Trudeau again, being like, this doesn't matter. This is unfair. The the conservatives obviously being out for blood because this is like totally unacceptable from an ethics perspective. But like, I mean, doesn't actually matter in the grand scheme of things. The NDP is also involved in it, too, saying the ethics breach, like, hoping that we forget about, you know, Singh's own ethics breaches by accepting ridiculous gifts, like whatever that fuck that like baby rocking chair or whatever the hell that was. But It is interesting to me that the liberals are so like whoever is making decisions in the prime minister's office is um, so untalented that they wouldn't think that this would cause problems. And this is, this is the thing.
1: Yeah. It's like, you're so bad at this. <laughs> it just, it's, why? I, but yeah, I, I don't care. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, but it's, but it's, but it's bad news from anyone that's hoping that the liberals are going to be able to win the next election because if they can't even figure this out, they're not going to be able to, to actually go toe to toe against the machine that's behind Pierre Polyever. And um, and I also just want to use this as a pivot to say like, this news doesn't fucking matter, but it's all that the federal politician watchers have been writing about.
1: Yeah, I, I, I don't understand. Like, I just I mean, the, OK, the reason why it matters to to like people on the ground is that they, they see that they're like, oh, you know, gosh, you know, Trudeau gets to do all of this stuff and I can't afford bread anymore. And that is what, of course, Pierre Polyev is uh, is going to capitalize on without, um, you know, the, dealing with any policy that would. Uh, that would shift the price of 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 of, of uh, daily necessities, and um, the NDP will I don't know not properly capitalize on this by talking about anything that would actually be uh, a good uh, a good approach to dealing with policies that uh, are leaving people feeling in, like uh, that that they're in a really destitute position right now. And, uh, yeah, that sucks. And it would be really amazing if there was anyone who was doing any sort of federal reporting who could talk about it in those terms or any sort of, uh, federal analysis, at least who could talk about it in those terms. But, um, I hear you're no longer on CBC on Sundays, so I guess not.
0: <laughs> no, no. Although it's not like on that, on that segment, we got those kinds of questions very often, but, um... But, but yeah, I know the, the paradigm shift that's happening is major and, and mainstream media is not not doing so well with it. They're not coming out un, unscathed at all. But, you know, it's a new year and we're supposed to be hopeful and look forward and all that kind of junk. And you've, of course, started it in the, if I can say, the belly of one kind of beast, the the medical system. And so I know that the medical system has been on a lot of people's minds. Of course, you're in a different country's medical system, but I've been so surprised you know, I've been on the road uh, recently and I've been talking to a lot of people and it came up many times that people would still say, but at least things aren't as bad as they are in the States. Like some variation on, well, if I was in the States, it'd be way worse or I would have to pay like way more or whatever. While at the same time, we're seeing provincial governments whole scale um, like outsource and sell off and, and bring in private for profit health care uh it, it it seems like a perfect storm of things with absolutely no organized popular pressure to fight against it because the, Canada's institutional left takes January off <laughs>
1: Yeah. Um, gosh, yeah, it like I absolutely need to, to rant about this. It is I mean, it's different, like the experience, I think is different in the United States, but some of the issues are um, very much the same are very much similar. Uh, uh, and I, you know, if, if, if folks are wanting to like read about um, what I'm about to talk about, I really suggest that you uh, take a look at the um, uh, Nam Kiwanuka's writing on this. Uh, some of it she's written on, in tweets discussing her own experience. She's also written um, uh, articles in uh, on TVO uh, talking about her experience with gynecological care um, in Ontario in particular. And for me, being able to read those articles and to read her experience was like... Um, really uh, validating during the times that where I was feeling um, the most nervous, scared, angry, all sorts of different um, emotions. And so uh, if what I'm about to talk about uh, makes sense to you and you're feeling these ways as well, I I encourage you to take a look at her writing. Um, But gosh, Nora, (laughs) Nora, Nora, I am, I'm so angry. Okay. (laughs) I'm so angry. As you know, like I... I um somewhat like uh, a little uh, you know, over the top about like my preventative health care uh, regimen or whatever, you know, like I, I go to the doctor on the regular, I do the regular dental stuff and the eye care stuff, like all the stuff that I'm supposed to do on the schedule that I'm supposed to do it on. And uh, I am stunned that the this experience with fibroids, which You know, if if you're able to catch it uh, early, there are different things that you can do that are not um, an open abdominal surgery (laughs) that takes you out uh, for different periods of time, depending on what country you're in and what their their, um, suggested amount of time that you should be out for is. But there's different things that you can do, and yet, and and this is so common. I've now learned that you know, 70% of people with uteruses will experience fibroids in their lifetime. Um, uh, not everybody will have symptoms. Not everybody will have it uh, uh, be a huge problem, but it is a very common issue, and so common that it just feels like, again, now that I I've had it and have been talking about it, it feels like so many people that I know have had a very similar experience, and. I just don't understand how I could be, um, you know, going to my regular checkups and telling the doctors what I have, what I've been experiencing, um, which are symptoms of, of this issue and not have it discovered until the point where the only thing really that could be done is an open abdominal surgery.
0: Yeah. Wow. Eh? And that's so common because I know a lot of people who it takes until this age and older to actually have fibroids diagnosed and a plan of action to actually remove them, which, of course, at that point, they're usually so big that it is surgery is the only option. I can I I literally can count more than uh, five people right off the top of my head who've gone through this. You know, I think we when, when when feminists fight for better reproductive health and reproductive justice. And the whole focus gets put on abortion services uh, in Canada. We forget that like there's a million other pressing things and abortion services in law are actually pretty good. I mean we of course have to keep fighting for for more and more and more. but that just generally what you know the the broad world of what we would call women's health it, under patriarchy is a disaster. And it's too easy and too common for doctors to ignore and to not know and to dismiss and to blame, uh, blame the, the the patient or blame other issues on something else, and like that's all that's all bad. Compounding it though is just this decline of the quality of our healthcare system in general, to the point where. You know, people are afraid to go to the hospital because they'll be there for thirty hours or, you know, whatever, right? They won't they won't be taken seriously, they won't be seen, it's not bad enough, they don't have a family doctor, there's no walking clinics. All of this then becomes the justification to replace our public or not for profit healthcare systems and institutions with private for profit care. And the way that they do this, and it's happening in every province and territory, is that they allow for the payments to still come through our health cards and so the profit in it actually gets hidden and it's hard for us to see and we're left with no options and usually when we need an option it's like we're really ready to take any option because we just want to see a doctor and um, and that's a huge problem, you know it's it's something that uh healthcare unions fight and they fight you know through very specific terms, usually related to workload and and job quality or workplace um workplace supports or or that that kind of thing salaries of course um but by and large, like there's not really any fight left in some of the older institutions that have been set up to save public health care. And I have to say, like, this is such a this is such a point of despair and seems like the most obvious place to start mobilizing a broader group of people who've never become involved in social action before because the health system and the health crisis is just in, in all of our faces all the time right now.
1: Yeah, I, it's it's uh, it is extremely distressing. And it's also like, yeah, you know, I, I did have the experience in the United States, which I can compare to, to the folks that I know who've had the experience uh, in Ontario, for example, who are waiting up to two years to have the appropriate uh, treatment. Whereas uh, for me, yeah, I, I got it um, figured out or well, not figured out. <laughs> the figuring out piece took years. But the but from diagnosis to, to being taken care of, it certainly was less time, about uh, six months, but I did have to shell out quite a bit of my own money in order to do that. And uh, it, for people who, who don't have it, it's, it's not cheap. It is not cheap. And so it's like, gosh, like what kind of world uh, do we want to be living in where if this is something that can affect so many people and particularly black people more? Right. Like, why is this not uh, something that we know more about? And I mean, it's not just uh like the healthcare system it's also like the education system what we are teaching People about uh, reproductive health, about sexual health, uh, gynecological health—like what we should know. I mean, I felt like at every step of the process, Nora, I was being shocked by information that I felt like I should have had years ago. Uh, but, but you know, like at least before going into the procedure, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like it just—it just felt like there is this acceptability that as someone who lives in uh, a woman's body, like a body that is read as woman, you are to, you experience pain. Yeah, that's normal. (laughs) Live your life like that is how it is supposed to be, almost, is the the attitude. I mean, I've, uh, just to give an example of one of the things I'm talking about, I've had this weird hip problem uh for for years uh which uh, had been a bit of a mobility issue uh for uh, the martial art that I that I do and I thought I had like just strained my hip and uh, I went to sports medicine I went to to physiotherapy and nothing seemed to be able to resolve it and at this time, I started to suspect that I had fibroids and I was like, could it be something like fibroids? And, you know, my primary care doctor being like, nah, mm, 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 that's probably not it. My sports medicine doctor being like, no, that's not it. And then finally, not only, only until I was able to see a gynecological specialist who specializes in in minimally invasive procedures, who is a woman who was just before uh, going into my surgery. So this is after dealing with it for over uh, two years and just deciding, okay, maybe I'm just old and this is getting older and this is just one of the pains that I'll have only until you know like almost a, a year and a half to 2 years into the into having this pain did this specialist this woman tell me no this is definitely the fibroids and now that those fibroids are gone it's that pain gone and it's like oh my god <laughs> why does it take all of that and only because i was so insistent on no i want to check i want to check i want it makes sense to me that this might be um something that uh, that could be causing this like why why was it just so acceptable to so many healthcare providers that oh you're experiencing this pain well it's not this and it's probably nothing was so much of what i got it's probably nothing and I had other symptoms as well that are, like, horrifying and that I won't talk about on the on the podcast because uh, they would need some sort of extreme warning. Uh, but ask me in person if you want to. I have no problem talking about it because I really don't think <laughs> that um, – i I really think that we should be honest about how awful this is and like how how what the experience actually is like um, but uh, yeah, I had multiple other symptoms that are, are like discomfort, pain, awfulness that were just like, oh yeah, it's probably nothing was the response that I just kept getting back, which is fucking outrageous and unacceptable mm.
0: well in, in, in this whole process like what's been the impact of having uh stories that you've heard from other people in helping you navigate this. And why do you think people have been so reluctant to talk about how bad um, you know, in, in the case of the surgery the surgery is. What what social forces are at play there?
1: Oh gosh, so many. I think that there's like a cultural expectation um, to Uh, if you are experiencing some sort of uh, discomfort in healthcare and somebody asks you, well, how are you doing? Like there's a cultural expectation to say like, I'm doing well or I'm fine. And, you know, being able to talk to people who are like, oh yeah, I've had something similar. I've had endometriosis or I've had adenomyosis or I've had uh, a myomectomy, which is what a a fibroid removal is called and actually dig into what, what the experience is like it's so helpful it's like those are the places where i actually learned what to expect um how to recover and so on and so not only is there that cultural expectation um uh, for everybody but specifically for women i think we're we are taught not to be a problem like to to not um uh Uh, be too forthcoming with discomfort and so there's also this cultural expectation that we keep these things private or keep them to ourselves and so we don't really talk about them publicly but they are discussions that will be happening like in a a not public place which um, again uh, for me it's been helpful in navigating the experience but it has been it just makes me so angry to learn um that that all of these things um were going on with people who were quite close to me who felt like they couldn't um speak about it in a a public way and that makes me um really really annoyed and then there's just all these weird expectations i mean i i told you this just before we turned on the the um the recording but i'm gonna um say it for for the audience that you know one of the the, like an experience that made me really upset about this whole thing is, you know, I'm being wheeled into the operating room and just before, like literally five minutes before, um, the anesthesiologist uh, asks me, you know, it is like, have you decided what kind of um, anesthetic you'd like to go under? Would you get like a general anesthetic or something like an epidural? And I was like, very confused because the entire time I had expected that it was just obvious that I would be completely under And I was like, sorry, why why would I want to be awake during this? And she's like, oh, well, you know, some women uh, like to be awake. You know, the procedure that you're having, it's it's quite similar to like a C-section. And some people would like to experience what that's like. And I was like, (laughs) what? no, <laughs> like, no, put, I, I do not want to be awake for the hours long that you're going to be in here uh, trying to figure these things out. Like, nope, I, I don't want to be awake during that. She's like, okay, well, you might change your mind when, you know, when you are having a child. And I was like, okay, very weird, weird thing to say. But afterwards, one of the things, the awful things that I discovered that I wished that I had known beforehand was that when they do put you under like that, um, and you're intubated. you you afterwards, when you wake up, um, you there's an irritation in your throat. You get this postnasal drip that causes you to cough quite a bit during the recovery period. And let me tell you, when your abdomen has been cut open and then you have to cough, it feels like you are splitting in half with every single cough. It is the most excruciating thing. And had the option been given to me in in a choice that was like, oh, you might want to be awake because here's a complication that can happen later um, that could be even more painful if uh, if you are put under. And if you're awake, you won't have that potential complication, though you will have this discomfort right now for hours. I don't know that I would have made a different decision, but it would have definitely been a more informed decision. And I don't Mm -hmm. understand why I wouldn't have been told it in that way.
0: Well, because, of course, childbirth is like the only thing to be thinking about when we're talking about uteruses or uteri, I think, is officially the right word. I don't know either way I'm just
1: (laughs) really really distressed by it I might write something about it I'm thinking about it I don't know I just finished writing a book Mm -hmm. though so you know I'm like all written out (laughs) right now but I might I might write about it but just because I just I just think that you know gosh the approach is just so wrong there there should be other ways um that we uh that we support one another through these these really Difficult and awful experiences like um, from from the research to to the way uh, you're you're expected to deal with pain uh, all the way down to like the anti-black racism of it all of like how the assumption of how much pain you're actually experiencing and what you can Mm. experience to just the knowledge you should have going into the surgery itself. And afterwards, my God, like the whole thing is just so So awful, and uh, you know, it's just we need a a fully different cultural approach um, to this kind of healthcare, but also to healthcare in general.
0: Mm -hmm. You know, while you were talking, I was thinking of how many people listening to this episode don't even know what fibroids are. Which, (laughs) I mean, is totally would be normal. I'm sure there's people going, "What is a fibroid?" You could Google it, uh, but be careful. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, uh,
1: I mean, like that has been a thing too. So many people in my life who don't know what fibroids are so um yeah look that up uh and i mean honestly i i yeah sure be careful but also we we should be talking about these things these shouldn't shouldn't be things that we should shy away from which is why i've shared the photo with everybody who's asked and even those who haven't like you nora so Mm -hmm. (laughs) um anyway Uh, you know thanks thanks to you for being a a great um, support through that Um, and gosh it also just makes me so angry for every person who has been through a c-section and has been expected to recover alone oh Mm -hmm. my my god God. I don't know how that's possible don't know how that's possible
0: well, I mean, I would have. I probably would have died because I, after my C-section, I I lost so much blood. I hemorrhaged and had a lot of uh, some of the problems that you were talking about. You know, we we shared our 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 problems together, um, but I passed out when I came home um, because of uh, loss of blood. And had I not had I been alone, like I don't know if someone would have to find me on the ground and my children weren't with me. My children were in the hospital, so I was literally all alone. I mean, caring for a child would be even worse under those conditions. But you're right, like, there's a reluctance to talk about the negative experiences, um, and I certainly experienced that. Like, my pregnancy was a nightmare, a complete fucking nightmare. And anytime someone asked me how I was doing, the answer was always bad news, because it's all I had during my pregnancy was bad news. And it was a shock from people to hear someone be honest about how much it sucked. And it's like, for folks who go through these experiences and actually don't, don't experience pain or or it is really fun and beautiful and all the stuff like that's that's really awesome but it's just no way that it's everybody (laughs) like we have to we have to create those places where um you know when you ask someone how they're doing and you're not just saying hi like you're not just saying how you doing in a in a colloquial term uh, we we should feel totally comfortable to answer and that's that's something that we can work on in in our own relationships and encourage among people that we are spending time with and um, and to have these conversations so that they aren't used in couched terms or hidden or obscured or or, you know, just out of people's even frame of knowledge. So that when you go to the doctor and you're like, this hurts, you might have an idea of what that hurt might be because you've had talked to other people that have had the same hurt.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, thanks for letting me rant about that, everybody. Thanks for listening. Um, uh, but also, like, let's let's be um, uh, uh, like vigilant about how we are advocating around healthcare because the consequences uh, are, are can be quite dire uh, if you're not dealing with some of this stuff uh, in an appropriate timeline. And um, quite frankly, in so many places in Canada, they're not being dealt with in a appropriate timeline. Not just because. Um, Experiences that are coming from from women and people who have uteruses aren't taken seriously, uh, but also because the healthcare system has reached a, a dire straits, and not a single elected pro- politician seems to be um, uh, wanting to 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 deal with that in an appropriate way.